Today we'll be reading in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collect as his own all peoples. This is the word of the Lord. On Easter Sunday, we we discovered that Habakkuk had some very significant questions of God. And his questions were quite remarkable. One was, how long, God, will you go on and let this injustice take place? And the second question was, why? How long, God, and why? These two uh, critical questions that Habakkuk asked God. And then we learned last week that uh, God did not rebuke Habakkuk. And as a matter of fact, throughout the entire uh, 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 book of Habakkuk, God never comes down on Habakkuk for asking questions. Uh, We learned that Habakkuk last week did not question God's sovereignty. He he stood uh, firm in his belief that God indeed is sovereign. He reigns over the course of events of, of human affairs, but he questioned God in his sovereignty. God as a sovereign God, why? Uh, Is this happening and, and how is this going to work out? And at the end of last week, Habakkuk says, I will station myself on the watchtower, that place around the city wall where he said, I'll station myself there and I'll wait to see what it is that you have to say to me. And Habakkuk expects a rebuke so much so that he uh, says, I'll I'll prepare my answer to you. Whatever it is you have to say to me, God, to all these significant questions I have, uh, I'll be ready to answer you back. He expects that God is going to come after him pretty hard. And then God shows up today and the answer is nothing like Habakkuk expected Habakkuk had no idea the importance of what he was about to hear. I want to say as an aside today that, that if you sit here this morning and you're afraid to ask questions, here is a clear example in scripture where Habakkuk's questions give us some answers today. And Habakkuk's questions give us some insight today we wouldn't have if he hadn't asked. The, the other place in scripture that comes to my mind, which is clearly the same, is when Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I'm leaving you guys. I'm, I'm going away. And uh, the disciples sit there, but there's one of them who can't just let it fall, isn't there? His name is Thomas. He doubts. He asks some questions. And because of doubting Thomas's questions, we get this answer that is off quoted at funerals. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go again and prepare a place, I'll come and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That whole diatribe is an answer to a doubting disciple's question. So your questions don't throw God. They could perhaps give him an opportunity to speak some truth into your life about something that bothers you, concerns you, something you quite don't get nor understand. That is where Habakkuk finds himself. And God answers and what God says is rather surprising. Verse 2, the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. We discover some things about God's pre-message before the vision itself. He says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. A tablet was made out of stone. When we hear that, we automatically, we should think of the Ten Commandments. It it, it hails back to that great conversation between God and Moses. And he wrote the Ten Commandments down uh, on on stone tablets. They have to be kind of chiseled in there. Do you know what that says to us about what God is uh, about to reveal to Habakkuk? It carries with it a great sense of permanency. I want this message to be engraved in stone, Habakkuk, so that uh, all who see it, all who run may read it. So there's a sense of permanency about it. But secondly, it says there will be a sense of brevity about it. If it's going to be short enough so that somebody running by can see it, then it's got to be pretty succinct and to the point. It can't be some big, long, flowery statement if those who run can see it. Now, who might be running and why might they need to see it on the run? Two groups of people. One are the people themselves. It needs to be short and to the point so that God's people can see it, internalize it, memorize it, and live it. That's what it needs to be. So it's got to be short and to the point uh, for, for the people. But secondly, for the prophets, they were often called runners. They had a message. They ran with the message. And for the prophets, it must be short and to the point so that the prophet can take the message, internalize it, and preach it. In preaching class, we often say about anything like that, that'll preach. And that's what we discover some, uh, here today, something that will preach. You might say that Habakkuk got the first lesson in Marketing 101, right? Make it short and make it stick. Thus, companies today, right? They do that. So we'll see a little bit of that on the screen. I'm going to give you a slogan. You tell me who it is. We'll see how well they're doing. Save money, live better. At Walmart, absolutely. Keep rolling. Just do it. Nike, yeah, the kids get this one, right? I think, you know, small kids get that. Solutions for a smart planet. IBM, absolutely. IBM keeps going and going and going. The Energizer Bunny, not even the battery, right? The happiest place on earth. Disney. Uh, when you care enough to send the very best. Hallmark, uh, stronger than dirt, 
Who said Ajax? There was a male voice that said Ajax. Some man is seriously doing some house cleaning. Wow. All right. So it's Ajax, right? I'm loving it. McDonald's. Uh, Finger licking good. KFC. Have it your way. Burger King. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. M&M's. Seafood differently. Red Lobster. Yes, yes. Seafood differently. How about this one? One person in the early service got this. Think different. It's not Microsoft, but Apple. Apple. Think different. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Who's that? Men's Warehouse, right? We didn't invent the chicken, just the chicken sandwich. Chick-fil-A. Yes, Chick-fil-A. And so... These are slogans. They, they work. They're short. They're to the point and they stick. And uh, God gives Habakkuk one that is 650 years later. We'll see uh, it becomes powerfully important. And, and 2,600 years later, we're still saying it. He says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, for it will surely come. It will not delay. What is this vision? Live by faith, die by pride. That's what God says to Habakkuk. Live by faith, die by pride. Now, God says there is an appointed time. An appointed time for what? Just to bring you up to speed, King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are coming in. God has raised up this kingdom to come in and show his people who's God. King Neb is anything but godly. He's powerful. He has all of these forces with him. And this is what has to be going through uh, Habakkuk's mind. Habakkuk knows God's promises to Israel. God told Abraham, I will raise you up and make a nation out of you. God told uh, David, David, I will, your descendant will never leave the throne. How is it if all of the Israelites are going to be completely annihilated? If they're going to be completely annihilated, how in the world? Habakkuk has to be wondering Can God keep those promises he's already made? God, how are you going to do this? And while I stand here on this watchtower and I watch your people utterly destroyed. God says to him, the vision still waits its appointed time. You see, Habakkuk was... In this place that John Oxenham wrote about that you and I all share with him. Look at this poem. He writes in characters too grand, speaking of God, for our short sight to understand. We catch but broken strokes and try to fathom all the mystery of withered hopes of death, of life, the endless war, the useless strife. But there with larger, clearer sight, we shall see this. His way was right. 
You see, there's the space in life in which all of us lives. And that space has limited vision. We see this tiny slice. God sees what comes before. God sees what comes after. He sees it all. You and I aren't privy to that. We do not see the end from the beginning. Some of you are in that slice of life right now. It it is that uh, space between diagnosis, prognosis, and treatment. The doctor says, cancer, you wait a few days to hear how severe it is. And once you discover how severe it is, you wait a few days to know your treatment. And once you know your treatment, then you have months of treatment. That long space there that God only knows. Some of you are there uh, this week, the, the news uh, of, a, of your wife, your husband who cheated on you. You never, ever saw it coming. And you have that news and everything in your world is upside down. And you wait. It's that space. It's it's the breakup. You thought she was the one. This was the girl you knew you were going to marry, but she broke up with you. And you're wondering, God, where where are you in this? For Habakkuk, he could hear the hooves of the horses of the Chaldeans. He could hear the cries of their warriors. And he could look down into the city of Jerusalem from his vantage point on the wall and see the panic in the people and say, God, how long? God, I don't get this. God says it hastens to the end. What is the end? The end is twofold. It is the end for Nebuchadnezzar, what Habakkuk could not see. All he could see. All around him was problem. There was no solution in sight. And so overcome by fear and, 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 and the inability to understand, God is saying to him, there is an end to all of this that you can't see. I'm raising up Nebuchadnezzar. I'll depose him when I'm ready to do so. We can't see that. But then there's the other end. The ultimate end we'll see in a moment. And God says also, it will not lie. It will not lie. Joshua gives us some insight into, uh, into this. Joshua 21, 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel have failed. All came to pass. When God said he's going to do something, what does he do? He does it. God keeps his word. He is a God of his word. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. It's always going to seem slow to us. Time stands still in these times in our lives. It does. Time just comes to a screeching halt in the most painful times in our lives. And it seems like nothing in life makes any sense except the trouble and the turmoil that you're experiencing. 
So what will not delay? Verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Talking about Nebuchadnezzar. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Live by faith. Die by pride. You live by faith. You die by pride. Pride, whose soul is puffed up? Look at verse 5. It's King Nebuchadnezzar. He thinks, look what I'm doing. Verse 5, moreover, wine is a traitor. Some of your translations will render this wealth. It's because the translators struggle to know. The word could go either way. Wine is a traitor. Wealth is a traitor. It works for both words. What does it mean? You can't ever get enough. And when you get one more drink, if you're a drunkard or if you're an alcoholic, you'll think that one more drink will satisfy you. And guess what that one more drink doesn't do? It doesn't satisfy. Or if you're greedy, if you think you've got to have more money than you have now, you think, okay, when I get at this level in my banking account, when I have this much income coming in, I'll be satisfied. And guess what? You get at that level and what do you want? You want more. Just like the alcoholic who wants more alcohol, the greedy man, the greedy woman wants more money, never satisfied, never seeming to have enough. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar, he's drunk on power. He's drunk on his pursuits. Uh, An arrogant man who is never at rest. Never can he rest. He can't calm down. All he can think about is another army, another pursuit, another enemy, another just field strewn with dead bodies. That's what he thinks about. His greed is as wide as Sheol like death. He never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own, all peoples. His greed is as wide as Sheol. What is Sheol? Sheol is that Old Testament word for the abode of the dead. It is a negative in its context. It isn't paradise. It is the negative side of dying in the Old Testament. Isaiah had this to say about Sheol. It's a haunting image. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its appetite. We would use the word hell. You say, What is Isaiah saying? Hell is hungry for you. Hell is getting larger and larger because nothing would please hell any more than to make you its resident. That's what Isaiah says. Hell has, uh, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. And the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down, her revelers, and he who exalts in her. God says, like Sheol, Nebuchadnezzar can never get enough death. Like hell, he can never get enough victims. But he will die. By his own pride. It'll be the death of him. But if you look at verse 4, there's a tiny little conjunction that shines a bright ray of hope. Behold, his soul is puffed up, King Neb. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. We get to this word righteous and we've got to figure it out. 
In the Old Testament, don't miss this. In the Old Testament, the word righteous always carried a forensic or a legal definition. Say, what do you mean? It is a word that always indicated a legal act that took place. So for someone to be righteous, it meant that somebody outside him had to declare him to be so. I've told it like this before. You're in a court of law. You're tried. The jury comes back and says you're guilty. You're guilty of the very crime that, uh, that you were charged with. The judge, who in our case is Jesus Christ himself, slams the gavel and he agrees guilty is charged. And then the sentence comes and the sentence is death. For that crime, you get the death penalty. What does the judge do? You stand there trembling acknowledging your total guilt and the judge stands up and he's robed in his black robe that represents justice and righteousness. And he steps down from uh, his place and, and he puts the robe around you. And he says, if you'll, if you'll wear this, I'll declare you to be righteous. Wow. Or maybe, maybe many of you have not been in a court of law. And if you haven't, you'll identify with the other thing, many of you. You're driving down the road, just having a good old time, when all of a sudden you look up in the rearview mirror and what do you see? Lights and they're blue. And what happens? Everything in your world changes, doesn't it? Your legs that were once so firm against the gas pedal feel like jello. You're shaking in your shoes and your soul stinking nervous and the cop pulls you over. I, I say this as if I've experienced it. And uh, the cop pulls you over and when he does, he comes up and he says the oddest thing to you. He says, sir, do you know how fast you were going? And do you know what you're thinking at that moment? Well, if I did, you'd be the last person I told. Like I would never fess up to you how fast I was just going. And so he'll tell you, this is how I clocked you at so-and-so, so-and-so in a so-and-so. And what if he looks at you and he says, you know, I'm just going to give you a warning this time. You're free to go. That's mercy. That's mercy. But then what if he, before he steps away from the car window, says here, let me give you something. And he pulls out of his pocket a silver coin about this large. On one side is the uh, North Carolina State Troopers uh, uh, emblem. On the other side is the seal of the state of North Carolina. And he says, uh, he hands it to you and he says, now, from now on, when you get pulled for, for speeding, just show the trooper this coin and you'll be free to go. Whoa, that's scandalous. It is. So is grace. So is the grace of God in Christ. 
In one sense, the judge comes and takes your penalty for your crime you committed. In another sense, somebody somewhere is paying for you to have a silver coin that every time you get stopped. Or maybe it's like the nine-year-old I talked to recently. He had just given his life to Christ and we were talking about that. And he was still grappling with some sins he committed before giving his life to Christ. And so we sat in my living room. We had a conversation about it. Wonderful conversation. Delightful kid. We're having this conversation. And so I looked at him and I said, do you know that when you come to God and receive Christ as your Savior, that God forgets your sin? His eyes got huge. He said, he does? I said, yes. He said, you mean that he can't remember it anymore? I said, oh, no, no, no. He can, but he chooses not to. I said, and that's even better. If he could could remember it, if he couldn't remember it, then God's somehow disabled in that. But God who is fully capable of calling up everything you've ever done in your life that's against him, he chooses not to. That's scandalous, isn't it? And so is grace. That's grace. That's the gospel. God looks at Habakkuk and says, Habakkuk, you are righteous not because you are righteous. You are righteous not because you stand up here on the watchtower and you look out and you see the wrong of the Chaldeans and the injustice of the Jews who ought to know better. No, Habakkuk, you are righteous because I declared you to be. Nothing more, nothing less. Your righteousness does not come from you. It comes from me always and forever. Your righteousness is my doing. Amen, church? That's what God is saying to him. Hey, uh, Habakkuk, get a chisel out. Get a hammer. Get, get some stone. Chisel this in stone. But the righteous shall live by his faith. I love Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. Check it out. He does not deal with us according to our sins, talking about God, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Can I get an amen? Are you glad for that, church? Yes, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Wow. That's what it means to be righteous. Dressed in his righteousness. Robed in his righteousness got the coin right remember sharing this with my new testament class some of the students are here today and i remember telling this very thing and there were two or three to the right of me who looked at one another and said oh wow you speed anytime you want and i said oh no romans 6 1 says what should we go on sinning so that grace may increase god forbid Oh, wow, if you got the coin and you know the price that it costs for you to have the coin, guess what you never want to use? The coin. Just don't. Just don't. 
But then there's the last half of this, by his faith. The word faith here is an interesting, unusual word. It means steadfast trust. Steadfast trust. It's not the word always used for faith in Scripture. Uh, I love what John Calvin said. It is that faith which strips us of all arrogance and leads us naked and needy to God that we may seek salvation from Him alone, which would otherwise be far removed from us. The only way to be dressed in the robe of righteousness, to have the coin, to have the forgetfulness of God on your side, is to come needy and naked to him. Jesus himself would say, unless you have the faith of a what? Little child. That's how you come. That's how you come. If it seems slow... Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Little did Habakkuk know that when he received that message and etched it into stone, that later the Jewish leaders, not not converts to Christianity, leaders of Judaism would say that what Habakkuk received that day was a summary statement of all 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Wow. They would say... This is how we can sum up the entire Old Testament. The righteous shall live by his faith. Or Paul, that great Jew converted on the Damascus road. Paul, in Romans 1, 16 and 17, before he would write that great treatise of what it means to know God and be justified, would say this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Look at this, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written. What church? The righteous shall live by faith. And Paul would take 16 chapters to work out what Habakkuk had etched in that stone tablet. The righteous shall live by faith. But then he would be joined by one a little later. He wrote the letter to the Hebrews, these Jews scattered everywhere, being uh, really uh, harassed for their faith. Uh, The writer of the letter to the Hebrews would, would go through what we come to now call the Hebrew Hall of Fame of Faith, right? It's this chapter, chapter 11, that lists Abraham and, and Isaac, and it talks about Noah, and it talks about Moses, and it talks about those who were sawn into for the faith. And then you get the unexpected Rahab thrown into there. But before he's going to get into that list, lest you and I would be tempted to simply emulate them, do you know what he's going to say? For yet a little while, at the end of chapter 10, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Hold up. Hold up. What we have here is an old, uh, is a New Testament commentary on an Old Testament passage. And all of a sudden, from the writer of Hebrews, the vision that the writer of Habakkuk, or, or God says to Habakkuk, the vision that will not delay, the writer of Hebrews says is really a person. And who is that? 
That's Jesus Christ. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. You remember God said, this vision has an end. Habakkuk, you can't see the end from the beginning. You have no clue that as you sit on this watchtower, I'm about to do something that won't happen in your day, but a day will come. Just etch it in some stone. Just get your hammer. Just get the chisel out. Just etch it in some stone. And one day, one day, there will come one whose righteousness is from evermore to evermore who's perfect in all his ways who's never done any single thing wrong and when he the righteous one comes all the rest of us will live by his faith we will do that and if he shrinks back my soul has no pleasure in him wow and all the church said amen Amen. Little did Habakkuk know that etched in that stone would be a statement that would catapult the Apostle Paul into the greatest treatment of salvation and the description of it ever written. And little did Habakkuk know that when he etched that statement, he was writing about one, namely Christ, who would ultimately come. Wow. He had no clue. Do you know what that says to me? If you're in no man's land right now, you might be in good company. If you're in the in-between time, if you're in the time of of diagnosis and prognosis, if, if you're in the time of you're fired and you're waiting for the, you're hired, you, you could be in good company. If you're in this, I prayed for my husband for years and years and years, and yet I don't see the change in him. There is a God who knows the end from the beginning. And if you're going to live through it, you're going to live by what church? Faith. You're going to live by faith. You say, oh, I got this all figured out. I've got enough money to solve this problem. I've got enough knowledge to solve this one. Then you'll die by pride. So I don't play golf at all. I mean, when I do, it takes a lot of faith for me not to sin. (laughs) Bad. And it takes a lot of God at work for other people not to die. Lest they be in the way. But uh, three years ago, my wife... Well, my amazing wife, she had heard me say that if I had a bucket list, going to the master's would be on it. And somehow she figured out how to get tickets. And she and I headed to the master's. Beautiful, absolutely unbelievable course. So it's the master's weekend. And what do I do? I know nothing about golf, but I watch the master's. As much as I can get in my schedule, I sit and watch the master's. There's a young kid. Deshambo is his name. He is uh, last year won the amateur uh, of the year. He won the NCAA uh, golf uh, uh, tournament, and he is um, uh, in contention, maybe in the back end of contention. On Friday, he was playing quite well until he got to the 18th hole, and he just, I mean, bummed it up. It just really played poorly on the 18th hole. 
And the announcer, the commentator, said something quite interesting about this young man. He has an uncharacteristic way. He's a physics major uh, from SMU. And so he has taken physics. That's how he's figured out his swing. It's uncharacteristic of all the other golfers. He doesn't follow their rules. He has his own rules. And he wears the old Ben Hogan kind of hat. He just looks old. He acts old. He uh, he is seems kind of calm, cool, and collected. And so the commentators are talking about him and he messed up and they said you know he's just not very much affected by this mistake he made and the other one said no did you did you know what he said well what did he say I would later hear on ESPN the fuller story when he got so consumed with golf he said it almost made him mad made him crazy and when it did he realized he didn't say this it's what I read between the lines that it become a God to him and that's when he found Christ all right, so, so here's his statement. He said, I live by grace. I play by grace. If I play well, it's by grace. If I don't play well, it's by God's grace. So whatever I do, it's by his grace. Good or not so successful. Thus, he maintains his demeanor in the middle of the master's. God says to Habakkuk, live by faith or you'll die by pride. That's for those of you who've never come to Christ. The only way you'll come is naked and needy. And that's for those of you who came to him whenever you did. But for some reason, you've tried to now start doing it again on your own. Edward Moat was his name. Edward Moat was a uh, is a name that unless you were a great student in hymnody, you would not know. You may know the name Fanny Crosby. Uh, for all the hymns uh, Fanny Crosby wrote, or Ira Sankey, for all the hymns he wrote or led, uh, but, uh, but Edward Moat you wouldn't know. You see, Moat grew up... Uh, in London, his parents ran a pub in town. He said he, by the time he was 18, didn't even know there was a God. He said, I didn't even know God existed. But along about the age of 18, Moat had this experience. He heard the gospel for the first time. And when he did, God gripped him through the gospel and he gave his life to Christ. Edward Moat uh, was a cabinet builder, and so for the next uh, 37 years, until he was 55, he built cabinets. And the, at, at the ripe age of 55, he answered God's call to ministry, became a pastor. He preached for the next 21 years. Some of you think it's a little too late for you. Not at all. He preached for the next 21 years, and when he was 76, for health reasons, had to retire, died a year later. It was not while he was a pastor that he wrote this hymn. It was while Edward Moat was a cabinet builder. He said, one day I was on my way to work. And as I was on my way to work, I thought that day, I'll write a hymn today. And he said, the words of the chorus came to my mind. I had those words by the time I got to my shop. And then he said, the rest of the verses came that day. Those words, the chorus, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand.
All other ground is sinking sand. Look at the verses. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, evidently Moda experienced that, that time we're talking about, that waiting period, that, that distance between what we know and what we don't, the time of suffering and waiting. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant. His blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. And he anticipated the end. Remember, God said to Habakkuk, there's an end coming. When he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in who church? Who church? In him be found. How? Dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Wow.